Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, good morning. As Pastor Nate said, I'm Pastor Amy, and I have the the privilege of bringing the message this morning. Um, You know what? A couple of months ago, I don't know if any of you heard this, but a couple of months ago, I heard that Tim Hortons was maybe coming to Beaver Lodge. Did anyone else hear this? Hands up. See, look it. We heard this. Coming to Beaver Lodge, and it was, I, you know, there were, um, in the BMI parking lot, there was like stakes, and it was said that maybe the measuring out was for the Tim Hortons, but then I heard that there used to be a gas station in that location, and the ground was too contaminated, and so it cost too much money, and so they weren't, is what I heard. Rumor. Maybe, based in some truth, but I sure heard it a lot around town. And when you asked, where did you hear this from? I I never really got any solid sources. It was like, oh, this person was asking me, or this person said. But rumors are crazy things, aren't they? Tim Horton's rumor, crazy. But other things, they can be based in truth, but misunderstanding or miscommunication can kind of turn it into something not truth. Or they can kind of be from left field unintentionally, just completely out of the blue. Tim Hortons is happening. Or sometimes, not, I don't think this Tim Hortons rumor is based in this, but sometimes rumors can be straight up passed around with malicious purpose. I really hope the Tim Hortons rumor wasn't that. I don't think so. But the early church, like Beaver Lodge and the Tim Hortons rumor, also had some rumors going on about them. And actually, a lot of these rumors were then used to justify Roman official action against them. So one of the charges, one of the rumors, was that the early church engaged in atheism. Which is, you know, from our perspective, that doesn't make sense. But from the Roman perspective, they didn't believe in the Roman gods. And so they were practicing atheism. So something that was accurate, but seen through a different perspective. There was also charges of incest. This came from the language that the early church used. Brothers and sisters, a part of the family of God. That was a misunderstanding. People heard this and then wondered, okay, these are married people talking. What's going on here? And then there were some rumors that were just straight up malicious and exaggerated for the purpose of uh, taking action against them. And that was, that was some stories about what happened at their gatherings. I read some, um, the, some first century uh, accounts of the claims, and they're messed up. Then there was one that they were accused of cannibalism because of Roman officials and people had heard that when they gather, they drink blood and eat the body. This was a misunderstanding. This was about communion, that they come together and celebrate and and drink wine in remembrance, the blood and bread 
the body. But people heard that and kind of took it to cannibalism because they didn't quite understand what was going on. They didn't know the practices. And there are practices we still do today that don't make sense to those who, who don't have belief in it or, or any understanding. Ways that we engage with the Trinity and specifically the Son. But here's the thing. Sometimes we don't fully understand or make sense of the practices we do. And so today we're going to be looking at two of those practices. We are in our, I think, probably third week of our um, series calling Let's Dance, Engaging with the Trinity. And specifically, we're looking at the ways that we engage with the sun. What are some of the, the dance moves that Jesus has invited us to participate with him? And there's many in scripture, but today we're going to be looking at two community or corporate practices, baptism and communion. So our statement of faith for our, um, the organization that, of churches that we belong to call them ordinances, which are just decrees or commands set in order by someone in authority. Both baptism and, and communion have their roots in Jewish culture because Jesus was Jewish. And a lot of the practices and, and things that he talk about, talks about are rooted in Jewish culture. And here's the thing, baptism and communion are actually not optional. They are both commanded by Jesus as practices. But far from being simply a ritual thing we do, baptism and communion reminds and allows us to participate in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. Before we start uh, kind of pulling apart baptism a little bit, we need to make sure we have a shared understanding of what I mean when I reference baptism. I know that a lot of us come from different faith backgrounds, different expressions that uh, do baptism differently or have different components. So I think it's important that we have a shared understanding of what I mean when I say baptism and what our practice at Beaver Lodge Alliance Church is. So first of all, we believe that baptism is, for the most part, a one-time thing. This isn't a you get baptized every summer at summer camp or anything like that. We also believe in full immersion, if possible. You know, there's been in the past health reasons why that didn't work, and so we can adapt to that. But we believe in full immersion. And the reason why we believe that is is when the word baptism is used, the word is baptismo, which means covered completely. We also do immersion because of a passage in Romans 6 that talks about this is the spiritual reality of those who followed Christ, that there is death, burial completely under the water, and being raised to new life in Jesus. We also practice something called credo baptism, or just believer's baptism, which means we don't practice infant baptism, although we do have child dedication, which we declare before and dedicate our children to God. But we believe baptism is for those who have made their own personal choice to follow Jesus 
and ask him to be a part of our lives. Our baptism that we practice also isn't uh, specifically tied to membership in a specific church. We believe that when you're baptized, there is a component of you are um, entering into the larger family of God, but our baptism is not at all connected to membership at our church. And finally, we believe that baptism is not simply a public declaration, though that's an important component. We believe that there's a mystery in it, that the Holy Spirit works through it. And we'll talk more about that later. Why? Why do we believe baptism is important? Why do we baptize people? Well, the first reason is we're following in the example of Jesus. In Mark 1, he gets baptized. Mark 1, 9. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens split apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly beloved son, and you bring me great joy. Well, John the Baptist had been um, telling people they need to repent of their sins and be baptized to be washed, to receive forgiveness for sins. Jesus didn't need that. So why was he baptized? I think a component of it, he was baptized an example for us. And this passage in Mark, actually, is one of the places we see all three members of the Trinity. The the Son is being baptized, the Holy Spirit is descending like a dove, and the voice of the Father is heard, giving the blessing to the Son. So we're following in the way of Jesus when we get baptized. Another reason why we believe baptism is important and why we do it is because Jesus actually has commanded us to be baptized and baptize other, others. And I've heard um, when this topic of baptism comes up, I've heard kind of a pushback that oh, this is just a church ritual for membership. This is kind of like organized religion and I'm not into that, so I'm not gonna do it. That's actually not true. This is a practice that comes straight from Jesus. Listen to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I think sometimes we've kind of done the first and third part really well. We've gone out into the whole world. We've made sharing Jesus a priority. And then we've also made the teach the new disciples to obey all the commands, the discipleship, the the teaching about what it looks like to follow Jesus. But sometimes we kind of make that middle component optional. Something that's kind of, you know, for maybe a mature Christian action. But Jesus makes it really clear. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
and teach them to obey all the commands. In the New Testament, whenever we see baptism, we see it consistently portrayed as a fundamental component of conversion. Acts, if you don't know, is just uh, talking about the early church. The Acts of the Apostles is the longer name of this book. And it's talking about the early church and, and what happened there. And we see time and time again that the apostles go, share the good news, call on people to repent and be baptized. Acts 2, 38. So Peter had just uh, done a, a killer sermon, and it says that there, Peter's words pierced the heart of the listeners. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brother, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there's one where it says repent, baptized. In that order, we also see in Acts 8, 12. So again, Philip has gone out, shared the good news, and it says, but now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. What I see here is that we're ready to be baptized when we have received the forgiveness of Jesus, when we believe that Jesus died for us to be saved, healed, and delivered. And when we've turned to him and say, man, I've been in charge of my life too long and it's kind of a mess. I want you to be in charge. As soon as we've said that and turned our lives towards him and orientated our life towards him, we're ready to be baptized. I think um, in our sincere attempt to make sure that people understand what baptism is, to understand, for people to understand their commitment, we've kind of done a disservice in that, that we've kind of made baptism into a mature Christian action that kind of is so detached from when we initially come to Jesus. When in reality, the New Testament says baptism is the beginning of someone's journey with Jesus. And it doesn't have to come after months or years of fully understanding what it means to follow Jesus. We see this example. Again, Philip, he, is, uh, he hears Jesus tell him, okay, go, go to this road. So he goes and hangs out at a road. And shortly after, a uh, treasurer of Ethiopia a eunuch comes, and this eunuch had come down to Jerusalem in worship, and he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and Philip kind of saunters up alongside of him and is like, oh, what are you reading? So the man tells him, and then Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, well, how can I understand unless someone tells me? And what it says, it says, so beginning with this same scripture, the one from Isaiah, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. Why can't I be baptized? So he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. That was it. So I assume it was a, he baptized him, somehow Philip just kind of vanished, and then the eunuch would have carried on down to Ethiopia, where he would have, as far as we know, been the first person to begin to follow Jesus there. He didn't have years, months of discipleship to understand what the baptism meant. He said, why can't I be baptized? Philip said, yeah, let's do this, and did it. Baptism is the beginning of someone's journey with Jesus. So, baptism, we, we celebrate baptism because it's, we're following in the example of Jesus. Jesus commanded us. And then there's this mysterious part of how when we are baptized, the Holy Spirit works out the mystery of joining with Christ. I think we've downplayed this mysterious um, kind of spiritual aspect, maybe in, in modernism, where it's like we like to have answers and logical to fully know. And, we've, and that was in culture, and we kind of adopted that in the church, that it's been, we've downplayed it to this is simply a command, and, you know, this is a public declaration. And then we stop there. But I think that loses some of its substance. It kind of makes it into an optional thing, whenever we feel like it. But no, there's actually a greater, richer depth to baptism. When we are baptized, the Holy Spirit identifies us with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's all through the uh, letters in the New Testament. In Colossians 2.12, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That sounds something more than simply symbolic, doesn't it? And then we see in Romans, Romans 6, 3 to 4. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism, and just as Christ raised from the dead, by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. And Paul was talking about here how we're no longer slaves to sin. We, don't need, we are not controlled by sin anymore because we've been raised to new life in Jesus. And then finally, we look at Galatians. Let's find that. I thought I marked it. There we are. Galatians 3. 26. 
For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew, no Gentile, slave, nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This passage in Galatians speaks to the mystery of the Holy Spirit when we are baptized, of the Holy Spirit working and joining us to new life in Christ. When we choose to be baptized, we're joining the larger family of God. We're saying we're committed to discipleship, to to continuing our journey with Jesus. We're saying we believe that our sins have been forgiven, and we're embracing the mystery of this new divine life. If you have called on Jesus, if you believe that he died for your sin, for the ways that you have lacked love towards God, yourself, and others. And you've said, show me how to walk in a new way, Jesus. I want you a part of my life. If you have said that, you should be baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, what's holding you back? Has it been misconceptions, maybe about what it means or when it's appropriate? Maybe it's out of fear or discomfort, of the uncomfortableness of standing and declaring in front of people. Or maybe there's some of you that have actually felt like you need to be baptized and you just haven't, which is now, this is strong, but I, I, now it's just plain old disobedience. Jesus has asked you to do something, and why aren't you doing it? Baptism is just one dance move that we're invited to engage with, that enters us into the the dance of the Trinity. But there's another corporate one that Jesus, or community one, that Jesus has commanded us to do, and that's communion. You may have heard it by a different name, Lord's Supper, Lord's Table, Eucharist, the breaking of bread. And this, unlike baptism, is a repeated thing. This is an often thing. Jesus also commanded that we do this. The Last Supper that Jesus uh, commands us to do it is recorded in Luke, Mark, Matthew, talked about in 1 Corinthians, and alluded to in John. And this is what it says. This is from Luke 22. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which was poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so the requirements for those that can participate in communion are similar to baptism, actually. Received the forgiveness of Jesus, that we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we've made him Lord of our life, which just, again, is simply saying, man, teach me how to walk in your way, Jesus. I want you to be in charge. 
And we practice here at Beaver Lodge Alliance Church open communion, which means, again, it's not tied to any specific um, membership of our specific church because we just don't see that requirement in Scripture. Instead, we practice something that's open communion, which is anybody who has called on the name of the Lord is welcome to participate in communion. I think sometimes we have uh, kind of taken communion and made it into like such a small little ritual. Little cracker, little juice, do it, done. That it's actually, we've forgotten maybe the richness and fullness of what uh, taking communion entails. As we take communion, there's a past component in it. We're remembering what Jesus did. And he says that in Luke 22. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, what are we remembering? Well, we're remembering that Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again as a way to uh, provide salvation, healing, and deliverance. Colossians 2, 13 um, tells us what happened. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. We can go from death to life by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we take communion, we are remembering this and we give thanks for this reality. There's also a present reality that happens when we take communion. The first one is that we're declaring that Jesus is with us. In John 6, 56, it says, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So we, um, there's other faith expressions that believe in, I practice this word, but I, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pronounce it right, transubstantiation, okay, that believe in transubstantiation, and what that means is, is they believe that the, the bread and the juice or the cracker and the wine literally becomes the blood and body of Jesus. We don't believe that, but we believe that as we take that bread and juice, that it's a reminder of the mystery that Jesus is in us. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And it's kind of a hard thing for us, to, me at least, for me to fully understand what does that mean that Christ is in me and I'm in him? But when we take communion, we were reminding ourselves, even though we may not fully understand, that Jesus is in me and I am abiding in Christ. The other thing that happens in, in when we take communion is we are declaring and choosing unity with each other. In 1 Corinthians 10, Verse 16 says, when we share, so in this uh, uh, passage, um, 
Paul is just kind of going to the Corinthians and kind of being like, man, like our previous uh, series was, this, your church is a hot mess right now. Let me remind you of some things. And so in chapter 10, verse 16, when we share the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread or one sleeve of crackers, showing that we are one body. In this congregation, we have differences in belief. Some of our theology is is different. We have different practices. We have different values. But communion allows us to be unified around Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Communion gives us opportunity for reflection. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about uh, how it's a big deal to come to communion when things aren't right between each other, between ourselves and Jesus. And so when we take communion, it's an opportunity for reflection. And I'm gonna encourage you today We're not going to take communion today. That's uh, in a couple of weeks. But if you have something against a fellow believer, whether they're in this congregation or or elsewhere, if you're offended, if you're hurt, maybe legitly they have done something that was not okay, that caused you pain. If maybe you feel some hatred towards a fellow believer, you need to deal with it. And I'm not saying that you need to Um, be fully reconciled. I'm not saying that you say, oh no, everything's okay, it didn't hurt. I'm not saying deny it. But you need to confess to Jesus where you're at. Yep, this person hurt me, Jesus, and I'm angry. And I've responded in some ways that I know aren't your ways. But I don't know what to do here. What's the first step you want me to take? Forgive me for the ways, and I forgive this other person. Because here's the thing. It's actually a really big deal to Jesus as I look at 1 Corinthians and, and in John when he talks about loving one another. It's a big deal to claim unity as you share in communion and also deliberately sow or build up disunity. Those two things can't coexist. And so we need to be quick and prompt to deal with the matters of our hearts when we are hurt, when we've done something that we maybe have been hurtful towards someone, or we've been hurt ourselves. We need to deal with that and bring it to Jesus and and follow in then the steps that he invites us to do. But not only is there a past remembering, uh, present reality, there's also a future declaration that Jesus is coming again. And this is in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, And it says, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so, by taking communion, we are declaring that he has not yet come again, but he will and that our hope is in him coming again and making all things new. New heaven and new earth, new bodies. 
and communion. So when we take communion, it's not just this ritual of a quick, you know, drink and eat, but it's remembering what he did do, what he currently is doing, and anticipating what he will do. And I've been, I've been guilty before of cheapening communion to just this quick little thing. To drink, eat, check mark I've done. But it's something more. It's something that as we take communion should linger with us for the rest of the day. When I was uh, in grade nine, my, uh, one of my good friends at my church was uh, the pastor's kid. And, and one Sunday, it was the Sunday that her uh, family was going to be moving on to another church. And so this was the Sunday that they were going to pull, have them up on the stage, pray over them, bless them. And beforehand, it was communion. And so me and my friend were sitting there, we were sitting together, and, and all of a sudden, you know, holding the elements, and all of a sudden I hear a gasp. And I look, and she has done what, I don't know if you guys fear, but what I fear, every time I hold that little cup, spilling it, she's poured it all over her skirt. And it was like a khaki skirt that just kind of sucks up the moisture. So it was like full coverage. And both of us had this panic, like, what are we going to do? And so what we ended up is, I was like, I don't need to be on stage. So we went to the washroom, changed clothes. And so for the rest of that service, then the in-between, then the next service, and then their finishing um, kind of potluck, I had a skirt that was covered in juice. But what was interesting about that is I couldn't get away from communion. As I walked, the scent of the grape juice would waft up. Anytime someone would approach me, they would do the kind of look down, look up, try to decide whether they want to make a comment about it or not. But that day, I couldn't get away from it. The reality of the communion not only clothed me, but stuck with me. And I was marked, covered with the reminder of Christ's blood shed for me. And I'm not saying we need to start like pouring the juice on us because that's not a good idea. But I think there's a, a broadening out that we can do of communion. That it's not a five-minute thing and then we move on. But it's a fuller, richer thing of remembering the past, realizing what we're saying in the present, and declaring future, but something that carries with us as we go about our day. We center around communion. Because individually and corporately, we're remembering it's all about Jesus. What he did, what he is doing, and what he will do. And we can gather together as a body in all our diversity, all our things that we agree on or disagree on, but we can gather together because we remember Jesus. We experience Jesus with us, and together we declare he will come again. So some things to think about as you go about your day. How have you approached these dance moves with Jesus? 
baptism and communion? Have you seen them as simply ritual? You know, something to be easily disregarded or, you know, done and then moved on or something set aside? How have you approached this? Baptism and communion both suggest a connection between the world and eternity, the mundane, the water, the crackers, the juice. Suggests a connection with the divine in a mysterious, beautiful dance. And far from being simply ritual in a stuffy old church uh, tradition, baptism and communion communion reminds us and allows us to participate in Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. These practices are not in and out indicators of those who have made it or not, nor the indication of a tradition of the church that needs to be done away with, but these are practices that allow us as we gather to be centered around Jesus and what he did, even in the diversity of other things. They allow us to participate in the dance of the Trinity as we remember and participate in Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. Join with us as we sing one more song, and I will uh, come up and do the benediction afterwards. Well, before I go into the benediction, I, I want to let you know that in a few weeks, end of February, we are gonna be having um, a baptism service. So we already have some people that have um, expressed their desire to be baptized. And so today, if you have not been baptized and you know Jesus and you have aligned yourself towards him, that you have called on his name for the forgiveness of your sins, we have an opportunity for you to be baptized end of February. Come talk to one of the pastors, come talk to the one, of the one of the elders, and we'd love to have a conversation with you. Yeah, and if anyone here, as I've been talking about baptism and communion, and, and you're like, I don't know if I've actually called out to Jesus, now's the perfect time. You can call out to Jesus and say, man, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness and your, and your salvation, healing, and deliverance today. Show me how to walk in a new way. If that's something you've done, we'd love to, to hear about it and pray with you. So again, come talk to one of the pastors and elders. Um, but let's, uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that by your death and resurrection on the cross that we can participate in death to our old selves, death to um, being slaves to sin, that buried with you, and then we have been resurrected with you into new life because you are in us and, and we are in you. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And I ask today that you would help us live in light of that reality, that we would know that we are loved, that we are seen, and that we would go out and share your love with those around us. So I bless you today, Beaver Lodge Alliance Church, to know your identity in Jesus. I bless you to know that your Heavenly Father sees you. I bless you to know the love of the Father, the friendship of Jesus, 
and the comfort and power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.